You are now listening to Macrodose. Hello and welcome to another episode of Macrodose Extra, where we go in-depth with some of the leading voices from the world of economics. Our guest today is Gargi Bhattacharya. Gargi is Professor of Sociology in the Institute for Connected Communities at the University of East London. They are also an activist, organiser and author of Rethinking Racial Capitalism, an account of the entanglement between capitalism and racism, which tracks their historical interconnections. Gargi is also author of We the Heartbroken, a new book out just this month from Hajar Press. In it, they explore the role of emotion, grief and tragedy in building solidarity and argue that heartbreak can become the class consciousness of our time. In this interview, we touch on both of these works. We started by discussing the concept of racial capitalism. What does the term mean? And why does Gargi think it's a useful framework for understanding the economy today? I got interested in discussions about racial capitalism, partly because I I both work and organise around issues of racism, but also because there was a period in Britain in particular, but I think it went beyond even the Anglosphere, when I certainly was invited to far too many panels which really were asking race or class, or or sometimes in different spaces, a different identity or class, which was really a way of misframing a conversation about why is solidarity so difficult, given that capital wrecks our lives in such interconnected ways. So really, I come to this debate through my dissatisfaction with framing the question as an either or, or why are we so different? And the questions around racial capitalism are a way of trying to understand how capital disperses us, divides us, mobilises already existing divisions between populations can let things, you know, race is a shorthand for any kind of arbitrary, irrational marker of difference between human beings, like how capital can set those things running absolutely as part of its business, not as an aside. So it's a way of thinking about why solidarity is so difficult, given that our lives have been so saturated by the workings of capitalism. And so it just, and I think of it as a question, not not as a a new meta-theory, but it's a question about, given what we know about how um, capitalists reshape the globe and all human life, why is it that we are dispersed in these particular ways and unable to see each other? I mean, I think you partly sort of hinted at an answer to, to a kind of follow-on question there when you're talking about race as a, a sort of metaphor for whatever arbitrary divisions there are. Because an obvious possible response is to say, well, in that case, I mean, why race? Why not? patriarchal capitalism or some other arbitrary division that capitalism imposes yeah. on us. Why go for race in particular? No, absolutely. And I, and I see that. So firstly, I think the arbitrariness of gender is a different kind of um, machinery. That's such an obvious thing to say, of course. Gendering is a different kind of machinery to, to race, is mobilised differently. Gendering has tended not to disperse populations, but to segment populations within within effective relations often and within one space. But my own work tries very much to talk about how thinking about racial capitalism allows us to think about the always, at the same time, mobilisation of, of gender, of differing ability, the idea of the productive and the non-productive and the useless body, and and I hope not not to get kind of stuck on 
this identity is the best because I'm not that interested in identity, really. I'm interested in, you know, what languages do we have to try and see what power does to us. I mean, I'm just picking up on that um, comment there and the distinction between sort of gender as something that, that it's a division that, that forces people together in a certain way and race is a division that pushes them apart. And it, it seems that this fits extremely well for if we look at you know, what's happening in British politics at the minute, the way in which there's a very particular kind of division that's being enacted around migration, especially, and the role that this plays in, in sort of reinforcing the operations of racial capitalism. I think it's something you've talked about yourself uh, you know, just over the last few years or so. Well, certainly I think that bordering and the mobilisations around bordering work in lots of ways to remake our moment of racial capitalism. As you say, it's really overtly being used by by our enemies to say, you people are nothing like each other, you have nothing in common. Um, in fact, this other group of people are not even people. But it's also a little bit more than that. The language of, or the kind of analysis of racial capitalism isn't only at the realm of the discursive, which are often, I think, in the British left, for good reason, we've been kind of fixated at the realm of the discursive because the right and our enemies have kind of colonised that space. But racial capitalism also remakes the, the material spaces and activities and opportunities and ways of life of us differently. So bordering not only says, hate those foreigners, it also says, if you come through this route... You enter the labour market through this different back door. You must live in this different place. Your um, relationship to something called law becomes completely different and therefore the so-called protections of the workplace become something different. And that stratifies the labour market in a different kind of way, which just, you know, it's not like, it's not only about having a lovely day where we see each other and like each other, although I think there's some room for that right now in Britain. It's actually also saying, oh, look, the space of work and life and access to economic resources is remade in a way that it's very hard for us to be in the same space, you know, that we're not the same. So then what do we do with that? Okay. I mean, there's there's something on that, which is that this, this border this border's changed a fair bit just in the last sort of few years, that, that you've gone from, depending on where you come from, but this border expands all the way to, to the edges of the European Union up until, you know, sort of early 2020 kind of thing. Uh, and now that board has been brought quite dramatically back to the edges of the island we call Britain. Um, I'm just wondering how that sort of shift fits in with quite an expansive concept like racial capitalism. Because presumably it's all racial capitalism of one form or another. It's just the, the kind of the version of race or racism within that has, has shifted around a fair bit. No, absolutely. So, and I think you're right to point out that the analysis of racial capitalism is not saying there is a discernible group of people through who you can tell from looking at them or maybe how they pray or some other aspect that through all space and time will be the excluded group. It's saying racial capitalism is a way of us understanding the always moving machinery of exclusion, stratification, making surplus, and that different groups can be in place differently and also, very importantly, what this technique of power does is it can conjure up new groups that those that there might not have been a group there before, but the process of excluding, stratifying, making surplus conjures up something so you look like a group 
when you might not have been a discernible population for those purposes before. So one of my things which I used to bang on about during the moment of Brexit, that I think that the EU referendum, sadly, was a battle between two versions of state racism. One was a state racism which says we can have a kind of cosmopolitanism with um, limits in order to enable the, the rich to have access to a low-paid service class across Europe and free movement. You know, but we'll still let people die in the sea. It'll just be in the sea off Italy, not off England. And a different kind of state racism which says, oh, no, 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 I don't like transnational alliance. I want to assert a little Englander. But neither one was a position which said all human beings are of value in themselves and not to be exploited as human capital, that how we think about movement is also how we think about who will live and die on this planet, because increasingly bordering is a matter of life and death. And it has been for a long time across the globe, and now we're seeing right up in the global north that it's becoming, it's becoming about where the bodies fall. There's, there's potentially a response to that, which is, I mean, there was a kind of third term in the in the referendum, which I'm thinking of somebody like Daniel Hannan or Boris Johnson in one of his incarnations as Foreign Secretary would talk about this, which was a, a version of saying, oh, well, here we are, global Britain, and here we are, actually, we could have a, a sort of very expansive version of what a migration regime would look like. This would fit in with our version of Britain that Brexit will give us that will be, you know, actually potentially more migration uh, mm -hmm. than, than we have at the minute. There, there's a sort of, you might call it a neoliberal version or a stronger yeah. neoliberal version of it. And often the rhetoric around neoliberalism and, and sometimes the critique of it is that, oh, well, this is all about, you know, allowing workers to move wherever they want. And, and there's a sort of nationalist critique which says, oh, well, this is bad because this is about putting pressure on wages and things. I'm wondering how that would fit in, that version of a capitalist politics would fit into racial capitalism at this point. Right. So partly, and it's already in your question, isn't it? There was a fantastical element to the Johnson account. of, And there was, because Britain is Britain, there was such a heavy overplayed imperial nostalgia. And it was an idea of let, let us remake the global economy so that Britain is what it was when the world's resources flowed into this tiny nation and that the organising of global populations could be towards that nationalist end, but with a kind of international reach. It's tricky, isn't it? See, I think, because I think racial capitalism is a shorthand for looking at how capital constantly remakes itself at global levels, but also in contested ways in different spaces, because, you know, there's always ascendant bits of the capitalist class and bits that are losing their space. But racial capitalism is a shorthand for how, within those battles for ascendancy and dominance and reach, the differentiation of populations is set running as a technique to solidify and cement the power of capital. So I don't want to say, oh, this bit fits and that bit doesn't. I think it's more a way of thinking, OK, given that one part of the capitalist class is saying we will have free movement within a huge multinational power block, and another is saying, hmm, don't like that because, of course, that is a kind of, um, especially if you, especially if you're a ruler of the world only a few decades ago, that's a bit of a, that's Britain's problem, isn't it? We used to rule the world. Why do we need to be in a power block with you other effers? You know, don't need it. 
nostalgia for that being the former ruler of the world is not really saying, and we'll step out of racial capitalism. It's just a different mode of saying, the way you're differentiating populations, I don't want to be in alliance with you as the new white ruling class. I prefer to be the sole master of the universe. But I'd still like to say that the world's populations are differentiated in these ways as resources for my interests. I'd still like to decide who moves where and when for what purpose, which is always my purpose. It's the narrative of what capitalist self-interest is and how power, statecraft and positioning in, in a kind of global landscape happens. I mean, look, there's a degree to which there's a lot of talk about global Britain was in the sense that sometimes you get presented in a, in a very, uh, what would you call it, a liberal sort of cosmopolitan fashion. I mean, I distinctly remember Johnson doing this. You knew it was kind of nonsense because it was in alliance with a whole load of people who were just going to say, actually, this is about controlling borders and that means stopping certain groups of people coming here. Right? So you can talk whatever you want about global Britain and how wonderful and cosmopolitan it is. This is not the political project that's happening there. Although what's interesting since Brexit is is what's happened to migration to Britain. Like famously or infamously from the kind of nationalist right in politics, migration's risen a fair bit. So does this does this change an analysis of what bordering is doing, right? The border the border is behaving differently. And and what does racial capitalism as a frame of analysis bring to that? Most of the I would say the interesting writing about bordering really talk, helps us understand how when the you know different authoritarian right parties or even centrist parties across the world say we're bordering, look at us, be strong and sovereign, what they're, they're not excluding the other. What they're doing is they're changing the terms on which people move in a way which actively creates groups of people who are less protected by law made illegitimate or semi-legitimate, who normally are siphoned straight into a semi-shadow economy or a highly um, subordinated segment of the labour market. And that's the point. The point of the border is not to say get out. The point of the border is to control how people are able to enact rights, are able to organise with each other, are able to be exploited or not exploited or semi-exploited. It kind of it sets that in play. And it's very, very hard to challenge, you know, that we're seeing all over the world, all kinds of attempts to just um, have small mobilisations that allow people to live within those terms. But each of them is so difficult. uh, And each of them is not spoken about in the way or doesn't quite mesh up with the other equally but different set of horrific attacks that are being had against people who are seen as the real workers, but whose conditions of life are also under extreme attack. Look at what's happening to living conditions all over the world. Look post-COVID where the extremely hungry are, many of whom are workers, real workers, they're not migrants. But both those things together, that's what racial capitalism is. Racial capitalism makes all of our lives extremely difficult, takes the business of what is needed to sustain life from everyone, but at different speeds and in ways which makes it hard for us to see the solidarity and more than solidarity, the collective agency across the places in which we're immiserated. Microdose is brought to you by our supporters at patreon.com. For the full episode, head over to patreon.com slash microdose and subscribe today.